0: It is Encounter with God time here on The Breakfast Show. We're about to hear from you. We're about to hear what, you're, what you had to say. And at the first part of the show, we're also going to have another clue for our quiz. All right. And the next clue for the quiz What was the last plague of Egypt?
1: 0491 064 669 is the number to call or text if you know the answer to that one. If you do, you can go into the draw to win the Andrews Study Bible, the bonded leather, amazing, incredible, expensive Bible, uh, which will be drawn at the end of the week. But again, that question was, what was the last plague in Egypt?
0: 0491
1: 064
0: 669 is the number to call and text. Fantastic. Well, we were talking about adrenaline. Uh Ah, During our interview, uh-huh. and we talked about some adrenaline junkies uh-huh. as a part of our news stories, uh-huh. uh, an 84-year-old 84, 84 who just crossed the Pacific uh-huh. and a 103-year-old who went skydiving. Mm-hmm. Somebody asked what was the youngest person. I looked it up. The youngest person to go skydiving was four years old. Uh-huh. But then somebody was like, yeah, but what about somebody who was pregnant? Would that count? Oh. So I looked that up. And Melissa Nelson Lowe, professional skydiver, did 25 jumps while in utero. Baby on board. Yeah, okay. But, you know, like,
1: can you say that the baby was a, like, had an official hey Was a person. Well, no, okay, have that. no, I'm not going that. But does it count towards yeah. the skydiving record? We're not We are not take, taking that <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. step. We're not. Let's go there. I just want to throw Let's Lyle's to granddaughter out of a plane <laughs> with a person in a parachute attached to them.
0: That's that's not what happening. I want. Not happening. You can want all you want. Taint happening okay old people crossing the pacific this guy is above average he's a very gutsy person skydiving at 103 amazing i haven't done it yet i think i will wait until i get to heaven have you ever had a dream where you are flying i mean free flying with no equipment the most beautiful experience ever i'm glad that you had a beautiful experience of it for me it's always been infinitely frustrating because i get just above the ground and i'm trying to get away from something and I'm flying, but I can't go anywhere. That's like in your dreams. Like your punches are like really weak, and you can never get to where you're trying to go. it's yep. like the worst. It's just it is. That's that's the kind <laughs> of ones I have. But apparently, uh, this person's having some great flying dreams. So that's awesome. Mm. Okay, the bronze statue in Israel, Jews and Christians and Muslims. All the similarities only tells that there are no excuses. There is no salvation without Christ. He's the God who died for humanity. And the Jews and the Muslims do not accept Him as their God and Savior. It is Jesus who taught. To love your enemies and your neighbours as yourself. Today, politics and religion only equate to ecumenism, which is based on religious similarities. Nothing wrong with your sentiments. It would be nice if it was so. Mm. And this is the idea behind it. You know, the Bible says, "Love your enemies," and we need to love our enemies, and we need to find ways to be in unity with our en- with our enemies, uh, in friendship with our enemies, rather than in conflict with them, without compromising our beliefs. Mm. It's that simple. Mm. And it should be that simple. It shouldn't be hard. I should be able to be great friends with you know a Muslim living on one side of me and a Jew living on the other side of me and a Hindu across the street. Yeah, but we're not Jews. And Eagles. we should Muslim, share so, food geez. together. We should share symbols of friendship mm. together. We should uh, enjoy each other's company. We should have robust Discussion. discussions about spiritual things together and to be able to do all of that in peace and harmony uh, because you know, that's what God wants to see without compromising our beliefs. Mm. Simple as that. Anyway, anxiety, we all have suffered from it. I found in my life that all my anxiety was based on fear, but re- later realized that the consequences were never as bad as I thought. Now I hardly get anxious and realize that God is in charge of my life, and no matter what's happening in my life or around the world, while I have basically no control over them, God does. Be at peace. He promised that he will be with us till the end of the world. Mm. Fantastic. Uh, yes, it was Suzanne who asked about whether a pregnant woman has ever gone skydiving. So, Good question, Suzanne. Suzanne, there's your answer. I would say that uh, this particular person, Melissa Larson Lowe, she holds the record. She's probably not the only one. She probably has the record for the most jumps while pregnant too. She, yes, she holds a bunch of records. She's a professional skydiver. Yeah. And... Uh, th- I would say that there's probably a bunch of people that have done it either intentionally or unintentionally. Yeah, that's right. You know, there's a lot of people that would be in the early stages of pregnancy and didn't actually realize. Didn't actually know. Yeah. I remember
1: seeing a story where a woman, like, not only was she, she wasn't in the early stages of pregnancy, but she was just having a very hidden pregnancy. She didn't mm-hmm. even realize she was pregnant. She went bungee jumping, she went on holiday. She yes, was like, bun- as you do. bungee jumping and all kinds of things. And then she was feeling sick afterwards and she's like, Huh, and then it turned out she was like like twenty five weeks pregnant.
0: <laughs> the baby was fine? Yeah, the baby was fine. But so there's a baby that's been bungee jumping. Yeah, that's right. That's
1: an awesome story, really. Um but I still want to throw Lyle's granddaughter out of a plane. Not happening. With a parachute. With a parachute. Not happening. You know, that that's that's maybe I
0: can talk Not to on her my parents. Watch. Not, Not on a, my You can talk to your parents all they want. Yeah. You've got to get past the grandparents first. And believe oh, me. Oh, okay.
1: Okay,
0: so here's where you will run into trouble. Uh huh. You will run in trouble with grandma. Uh huh. More, more. <laughs> yeah. That's where you're going to hit trouble. And you are not going to win that battle, by the way. Uh, I, can I, can I can tell you from experience. I can tell you from experience. You will not win that battle. Genesis chapter 38. Unfortunately, we are about to delve into one of the most sordid stories in the Bible. Mm hmm but it's going to create some interesting discussion. So we would love to hear your thoughts on this chapter uh, as we work our way through. Don't forget to send through your questions for Question of the Day and also... Uh, your thoughts on this particular chapter.
1: Mm, I was uh, able to record like a, a kind of podcast episode for a, a commentary on Genesis on this chapter specifically. And I think the alternate title for this chapter, in my Bible it's titled Judah and Tamar, which is very not reflective of what takes place no. in the chapter. Um, the The alternate title for this chapter would be along the lines of uh, why to not commit adultery or sexual immorality. Like everything that yes. could possibly go wrong with doing those
0: two things. It's kind of like that with every story in the Bible where somebody commits adultery or fornication. Yeah. it just it's terrible, terrible mm. idea always.
1: But this is such a prime example because you've got all the elements that could go wrong when it comes to adultery. You've got like uh, pregnancy, like unwanted pregnancy. You've got humiliation and secrets being found out, uh, hurt relationships. Like it's all here. It's it is. all here.
0: It is, and when you when you look at the circumstances in which the adultery took place, it's kind of one of those areas in which you know a lot of guys would be tempted to justify themselves. Mm. So let's read it. All right. So we're going to start in verse one. Yeah, we will start in verse one. We'll read say the first five verses, and we'll speak about them.
1: Okay. It says about this time Judah left home and moved to Adullam, where he stayed with a man named Hira. There, he saw a Canaanite woman, the daughter of Shuah, and he married her. When he slept with her, she became pregnant and gave birth to a son, and he named the boy Ur. Then she became pregnant again, and she gave birth to another son. She named him Onan. And when she gave birth to a third son, she named him Shelah. At the time of Shelah's birth, they were living in Kezib.
0: Okay, so here's an interesting uh, story, because, you know, you've got, uh, you've got Judah, he... He grows up and leaves homes. That's mm. what that's what young people do. Mm-hmm. And it's showing that, you know, the Israelites are becoming much more a part of the land of Canaan. Mm. You've seen it with Jacob who is building houses and building stockyards and these kind of things. And now you've got his children which are kind of assimilating into yeah. the land that they are in. And he's marrying themselves into families and all yep. kinds of things. He's moved out of home, he's found himself a wife. And he's settled down and having his own family in a different part of the region than you know when they were Bedouins living in tents, they centered around the camp. Mm. Now that's no longer the case. Mm. And so he's having he's having a family, and so far the story sounds great. Mm. He's fallen in love, he's hanging out with his best mate, uh, he's got a beautiful wife and having three kids. Mm. Happy little family. Uh, yeah, and then yeah. let's continue reading and we'll see what happens. Bible skips quite a few years as you go through Genesis
1: chapter 38, condenses the story somewhat. Yeah, and that's what it says at the start of verse 6. It says, in the course of time. Yes. So, now we've had a bit of a time jump here from, you know, their sons being born. Yes. And it says here, in the course of time, Judah arranged for his firstborn son, Ur, to marry a young woman named Tamar. But Ur was a wicked man in the Lord's sight, so the Lord took his life. Then Judah said to Ur's brother, Onan, go and marry Tamar, as our law requires Um, Of the brother of a man who has died, you must produce
0: an heir for your brother. Okay, let's stop there for a moment. Is that a bit strange? What? That he dies? No. That if you had a brother and your brother was married and your brother died, then you would have to marry the widow. Yeah, if you're unmarried. Mm. I think that that's, that's a serviceable
1: policy. You're listening to Faith FM, positively different radio.
0: See, this is Lawson speaking here who doesn't have a brother and who's thought this has never crossed his mind. No, I'm just like, look, widows are poor and struggling. and Okay, so we do need to understand what's going on here. Mm. So let's give a little bit of context to this. Uh, you have a situation where the social security system at the time re- revolved around your children mm. and widows who in the Bible you know, are called widows in our day are generally referred to as single mothers. Mm. And we know that single mothers in today's society struggle. Mm. They are a vulnerable portion of society. Mm. And so in today's society, there's a lot of things that we as Christians do specifically for single mothers. There's a lot of things that the government does specifically for single mothers. Single mothers to support and to provide for single mothers because they're a vulnerable portion of society, mm. and so when the Bible talks about um, uh, dying and leaving a widow, this was often a sentence of poverty. Mm. So not only would the woman become uh, a widow and lose her husband, and you know go through that whole grieving process, which is you know very very tragic. But they would also have the sentence of poverty hanging over their heads. There were some cultures in which they would never remarry. Mm. You know, you go to parts of the Middle East today and typically widows just never remarry. We mm. in Western society we encourage widows and widowers to remarry. It's so, you know, like give it a couple of years, you know, move past your grief so that you can make wise decisions without having contaminated thinking. And, you know, get back out there in the marketplace and remarry. Mm. Whereas in a lot of these ancient cultures that wasn't the case and so widows would be basically become beggars mm. and live a hard short life of course the alternative was if they have children then as they progress into old age they have people that have the responsibility of taking care of them
1: yeah that's right
0: and so uh, they will be given you know housing and aged care all you know because no such thing as aged care homes or assisted living facilities or anything like this. Your assisted living, your aged care was in the home of your children. That's how it worked. Yeah. But at this time, Tamar doesn't have any
1: she children. She has no children. And she's a widow. The two other brothers of, you know, uh are unmarried. Yes. Well, the next one is unmarried, so it's like, okay. You know, go with him.
0: This is this is uh this is and, and this was this was the law, this was how it worked. Mm. So go ahead and marry. And, and of course, there was an out. Uh, If you read the actual law, it's recorded in the book of Deuteronomy. And so if it was an inappropriate situation, there was a way that you could uh, avoid this. But in this case, it was like, no, you really need to go and do this. There's no reason why you shouldn't, and particularly in an era of arranged marriages where arranged marriages were a thing. um, You need to provide for this woman. You need to provide descendants for this woman so that she's not left in poverty. Mm. Okay, so
1: what then happens? But... Uh, so then you know she's told go and marry Onan, the next brother by Judah, but Onan was not willing to have a child who would uh, not be his own heir, so whenever <laughs> okay <laughs> this is, yep, so whenever um they slept they slept together um with his brother's wife, he emitted
0: onto the ground, okay, so this is uh the first recorded instance in the Bible of contraception, yeah. Uh, Otherwise known as the withdrawal method, mm. and so the Bible speaks plainly here, and it's always good when the Bible speaks plainly because the Bible is speaking about real events with real mm. people doing real things. And you know, in our society today, we understand what's going on here, but it's a bit of a dastardly thing to do mm. from a whole bunch of different perspectives. Mm. Uh, because first of all, he is refusing to provide any kind of care for this woman. Mm. At the same time, he's having sex with her. Mm. So, when you're having sex with somebody, but you have no interest in providing any kind of care for them, then that's what we call using them, mm. which, you know, 30 years ago, we would say that he was using her. Today, we would say that he is abusing her. Mm. He is sexually abusing her mm. because he is using her for sex. Mm. So, what is the result?
1: Uh, it says, but the Lord considered it evil that Onan to deny a child to his dead brother.
0: So the I'm Lord, I'm so glad that the Lord saw this as being evil. Yeah, you know, this is this is something that you know in in modern society we have really we have really come to understand you know the many different forms of abuse that there is, mm. and this is where the marriage covenant is such a wonderful thing because you know it doesn't get mm-hmm. rid of abuse but it does reduce it. Mm. It does you know there's a lot less of women being used for sex in the marriage covenant than there is outside of it. Mm. I was a cabinet maker for five years, worked in a workshop, sat around smoke on lunchtime with a whole bunch of, you know, young guys who were in their late teens, early twenties, who, you know, doing their trade and so forth. And uh, there was a lot of there was a lot of conversation about using women. There was mm. no conversation that I remember. That had any kind of tenderness or affection towards the women, that the women were just pieces of meat that were Mm. there for their pleasure. You know, we talk about toxic masculinity, and toxic masculinity is a thing. It is not everything that the woke community says it is by Mm. any stretch of the imagination. Of course, the devil always tries to push the pendulum from one extreme to the other. Yeah. But it's a very real thing, and it's a disgusting thing, and it's an awful thing. Yeah. And what Onan was doing here, this is toxic masculinity. Yeah. He's using his
1: position of privilege f- through the power that he's been given as as so a man. He can, so he's his masculinity woman. to abuse this woman. Yeah. yeah. He's abu- uh, like
0: he w- goes into again and again and again and again and again and again and again, and as much as he likes, and he is just not. Doing what he needs to be doing.
1: Yeah, it's terrible. And as a result, it says, But the Lord considered this evil to deny a child to his dead brother. So the Lord took Onan's
0: life. Okay, so this is interesting. What was it that God said was evil? Uh, To deny his brother uh, a child. Okay, so because people have used this verse in so many messed up ways. Mm. Uh, They've used this verse to say that any kind of contraception is evil. Yeah. So that's your Roman Catholic Church still to this day uses this passage to say that contraception is evil. Mm. The Bible doesn't say that contraception is evil in this passage. Mm. That wasn't the sin that Onan was committing. Mm. The sin that he was committing was the sin of using this woman for sex without giving her what she needed. Yeah, Uh, which is essentially like
1: it's... I wouldn't say, like, the application of this is that, oh, okay, like, if you marry someone, you need to give them a child because, like, especially in our day and age, there's many people who, could, firstly, and even in this day and age, there's many people who can't have children and that doesn't void your marriage. Um, and, but secondly, you know, it, the marriage is consummated through, you know, sexual activity. That's right. Uh, but I think ultimately it, it's just the situation here as we've been describing is, like, imagine you get married to someone and then you just give them nothing. Yeah, that's right. You just you just you just do nothing positive for their life. You don't support them in any way whatsoever. You give them nothing.
0: That's an abusive relationship. That is what's
1: going on here. That's it's like right. if I if I married someone and I wasn't willing in any way to share any money with them i wasn't in any way willing provide to support them, them provide for them into their age like that would be the work that is toxic masculinity yes using your position as a as a male in the relationship with that responsibility to provide or whatever it may provide
0: be. and protect you providing no provision you're providing no protection you're just yep. taking sex that's all
1: that's all that's all he's doing and God see and that's you know, because the, that's the context in which we're talking about here and we can see the, the action, the method that represents that is the fact that he won't have a
0: child with her. And this is the principle that men need to understand today and the principle that needs to come down to it today because this is a great example of toxic masculinity and of abuse of women and mm. abuse of your power, your position of power and privilege to yeah. So God ends him. Yeah. Wow, I'm glad it's God making these decisions, not me. Uh, but when I see, when I see, when I see stronger people preying on weaker people, mm. I, it makes my blood boil. Mm. And when God steps in and does something, I'm not going to stand yeah. by and complain and say, "God, you're too harsh in this situation." I'm like, "Well, God judged, God judged, and you know, you pay the band, you get to dance the dance."
1: Yeah, that's right. And so from this point, uh in verse eleven it says, Then Judah said to Tamar, his daughter in law, Go back to your parents' home and remain a widow until my son Shelah is old enough to marry you. But Judah didn't really intend to do this because he was afraid Shelah would also die, like his two brothers. So Tamar.
0: Judah doesn't have a lot of confidence in his kids, does he? Yeah. He's you not know, like, I've raised a couple of little demons here and they're just doing terrible things, so I've only got one son left and I don't want him to die, yeah. so let's not put him in a situation where he can sin. Yeah. It's, it's a very, very... The whole thing speaks of, you know, a dysfunctional family.
1: Which has been modelled to him by the previous three generations. Like, he's, uh, he's this is generational
0: dysfunction. It certainly is. Mm. We need to learn lessons from it.
1: You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM, positively different.
0: We really need to know what love really means as we study this particular chapter of the Bible. Mm. Lawson, let's have another clue for our quiz, another right. question for our quiz.
1: Last clue. I am a minor prophet hailing from Al-Kosh, uh, who wrote about the end of the Assyrian Empire. Who am I? 0491 064 669. is looking quite perplexed here in the studio. He's going to, oh, he's going to write down an answer. 0491 is the number to call or text. Yes. While you are correct. Good for you. Um, if you I was just thinking though,
0: it's a pretty obscure question. It is. I like it.
1: It is. It's very obscure, but if you know the answer, you can give us a call or a text and you can get your answers in to go into the draw to win the Andrews study Bible. That, that, uh, Clue was, I am a minor prophet from Alkosh who wrote about the end of the Assyrian Empire. If you know who this is, 0491 064 669.
0: Okay, just coming through on the text line here, this uh, text says the sad thing today is that many women, young and old, are behaving like men and use men on the same basis. And to to a lesser extent, but definitely true. And it's wrong both ways. This is why God created the marriage covenant. Mm. you know so many of these so many of these issues are so easily solved you know and, and you look at these you look at these women that are, are protesting in relationship to you know abortion and so forth and, and demanding abortion rights because of unwanted pregnancies and if we just went back to the whole concept of a woman refusing to give sex to any man mm. that has not signed a lifelong contract, to support any potential children, you know cool. and it results in abortion you know and it's not that it's not that unwanted pregnancies don't happen within the marriage context they do happen within the marriage context most of the time within the marriage context like wow, that was a surprise wasn't expecting that to happen um, didn't want to have children right now, but let's gear up for it and let's give this child all the love that we can. Mm. it just saves so much heartache in our world hmm and this is just one of those stories that highlights how much heartache mm. can be saved. One of the uh, other, you know, we talked about the Roman Catholic Church using this as a uh, as a Bible story against contraception. The sin here is not contraception. Mm. The sin here is abusing the woman. You can only say that if you just read one verse. Yeah. Other. Other expositors claim that the sin here was masturbation. Well, there's no indication that that ever took place in this story. I, I don't understand that one. Oh, you're not saying that like masturbation isn't wrong? Not but... saying that... Yeah, that's yeah. right. No, I'm not trying to justify <laughs> masturbation. I'm saying there are much better places in the Bible to go to if you want to speak <laughs> against masturbation than this one right here. This is like, <laughs> like
1: married and having sex.
0: Like, yeah. what? Anyways... Okay. Where are we up to? Genesis chapter 38. Yeah. Somebody, somebody tuning in right now, they're going to be like, wow, breakfast show. Okay. Yeah, these guys really right. get into No, it. we're talking
1: about the Bible, guys. Trust us. We are.
0: Um, <laughs> Genesis 38 is where we are at. Let's, let's start reading some Bible verses again real fast. just in case somebody who just tuned in is like, what on earth are they doing on so this religious station?
1: In verse 11, uh, basically Judah has no intention of marrying Tamar to Shelah because he's like, I don't want Shelah to die. Mm hmm. Uh, and then it continues on. It says, some years later, Judah's wife died. And after some time of mourning was over, Judah and his, friends, uh, Judah and his friend Hira, the Ad- Adelamite, went up to Timnah to supervise the shearing of sheep.
0: Okay, let's stop there for a moment. This, this, We keep getting this phrase, sometime later. Mm. Now, one of the things that jumps out in this story is that Shua, it seems, was much younger. Mm. And so it would take a while for him to grow up to the point where he could uh, perform his duties uh, in this case and so there is quite a bit of time that passes and then when he does grow up, Judah is just like, just no. Mm. The other thing that we've got to think about Onan as well, One, this is, this is something that we skipped over. His older brother has died. He's now the oldest son. Mm. So the birthright is his. Mm. But if his oldest son has a son, then the birthright is not his. Mm. So what he was doing with... Um, with Ur's wife was incredibly selfish.
1: Mm. He's just like, I want the birthright, so I'm just yep. going to avoid any pregnancy that comes. Yeah,
0: he doesn't. He's not interested in the spiritual part of the birthright either. He's just in, interested in the money. He's money guy. And this is what we see so often. It's so sad amongst families when somebody dies and there's some money involved, and suddenly all the kids are squabbling over the money. Mm. It's just if you ever find yourself in that situation, just walk away. Mm. It's not worth it. Yeah, they get lots of money out of the inheritance. It'll be gone in three years. Yeah, it's not gonna make any difference to their life. Mm -hmm. Okay, so somebody coming through on the text message right here. Oh, Lawson, you hit hit the nail on the head. God provided a way out for me. You kind of described my marriage, all one way street. I just didn't see it. I found this study today really uncomfortable to read, but not for this. Thank God, you guys expand. And then another one, here says, yes, marriage covenant is the only way and make sure he's vetted by your pastor, true. if possible. Actually true. Not just pastor, but like by spiritual people who love you. The Bible says there is a there is wisdom in a multitude of counsellors and if you're planning to marry somebody and everyone says this is a bad idea. It's probably a bad idea. It is 99% going to be a bad idea. Mm-hmm. Um, and then someone says, oh, you guys. <laughs> nearly spat out my coffee listening. <laughs> not first, not first time. <laughs> uh, it, I, this is the Bible. It is we're the reading Bible. the Bible, guys. <laughs> there are parts of the Bible that are R-rated. There are parts of the Bible that are X-rated, and this chapter is both. Mm. All right, let's read on. Uh, Okay, so, oh, yeah, we got up to the point where Judah, he's lost his wife. Yeah. So he's feeling sad and alone and, you know, in need of comfort, and he's actually in a very vulnerable position for a man. Mm. How does he respond? What happens here?
1: It says in verse 14, Tamar was aware that Shelah had grown up, but no arrangements had been made um, for her to come and marry him. So she changed out of her widow's clothing to cover herself with a veil to disguise herself, and she sat beside the road at the entrance of the village of NAM. Which is on the road to Timnah. Judah noticed her and thought she was a prostitute and since she, since she had covered her face. So he stopped and propositioned her, let me have sex with you. Uh, he said, not realizing that she was his own daughter-in-law. How much will you pay, uh, to have sex with me? Tamar asked. I'll send you a young goat from my flock, Judah promised. Uh, but what will you give me to guarantee that you'll send the goat? What kind of guarantee do you want? He replied. She answered. Leave your identification seal and its cord and the walking stick you're carrying. So Judah gave them to her. Then he went in and you know did the deed. And she got pregnant. Bible
0: says she had sex with her.
1: No, but my Bible uses like just different language, and I'm just I'm just feeling on. It's the Breakfast Show, man. Like there are kids listening.
0: (laughs) Okay, so but this is this is what happened. He okay, so he's he's mourning. Mm -hmm. he's feeling sad, he's in need of comfort Mm -hmm. and he looks for it in all the wrong places. Yeah. He thinks that, yeah, you know, I'm going to go and have meaningless sex with a prostitute and that'll make me feel better. It's not going to make you feel Mm -hmm. better. You're going to come out of there feeling worse and in this situation you're going to find out just how (laughs) badly it actually can go. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so if you're ever in that situation and you're feeling vulnerable and you need you know some companionship and some compassion, this is not the place to nope. go. Stop. This is the wrong place. Do not go there. Read this passage of the Bible and stay as far away from that as you possibly can because mm. Judah does a terrible thing. Anyway, we're going to talk more about this terrible thing and how God turns it around and uses it. Wow. But that's tomorrow's Bible study. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. Uh, We are going to have our question for the day. Before that, a few comments on the quiz questions, Lawson. Well, we've been through every quiz question, so that's it. That's kind of like
1: people just... Just, we're gonna run through some answers. Oh, yeah, run through the answers. Hey, 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 that's right. Um, okay, so from the beginning, it was Thomas. Uh, the second answer was nostrils. The third one was Baal or Moloch. Uh, either, either, either answer e- we would take as correct. E- either one. Um, the next one was the death of the firstborn. That was the last plague in Egypt. And finally, the minor prophet of hailing from Al Kosh was Nahum. There you go. So, congratulations if you've, you know, got a bunch of them correct and your name will be going into the drawer multiple times so right now it is time for
0: question of the day
1: Well, our question of the day is simply this should the church
0: get involved in politics no, the church should not get involved in politics, but that does not mean that Christians should get involved in politics. And the reason behind this is very simple. Uh, the principle of separation of church and state is so clearly outlined in the Bible. Mm. Uh, if you look at the constitution of ancient Israel, which was under a theocracy, it provided for the position of a king. It provided for the position of judges who were essentially political leaders, you know, to be able to, you know, to be a judge, to be able to enact sentences, you have to have a political process, you have to have a state, you have to have a government to be able to do so. So the Bible doesn't promote anarchy. The Bible promotes government. And so throughout the Bible you're going to have government. What you're not going to have is a union between church and government. So, for instance, you've got the story of Isaiah. Isaiah was king of Judah. Isaiah went into the temple and offered incense in the temple because he's like, I'm king. And the priest came in and said, you can't do this. You are head of, and I'm summarizing here, you are head of state, not head of church. We are head of church. We do this. You do your state stuff. We will do our church stuff. Essentially, this is what they were saying. And Isaiah says, I'm king. I can do whatever I want. So God struck him with leprosy on the spot to remind him that you can't do whatever you want. Stay in your lane. Mm. This is what God was saying. And Jesus reiterated this when he said, you know, give to, give to Caesar the things that belong to Caesar and give to God the things that belong to God. And so the church and the state should remain separate from each other. Having said that, does God call men and women to be involved in politics. Absolutely he does and if that is your calling then that is what you need to do and if you find yourself in a political position of power as a Christian there are many Christians around the world in positions of power, political power then you need to use that position to be able to further the work of God and uh, that does not mean that you are going to legislate your religion so for instance when Daniel was the prime minister of the Babylonian Empire and later the Persian Empire, there was at no point where he, say, for instance, legislated, well, everyone's going to keep the Sabbath or everyone's going to worship Yahweh. He never did any of that. Mm. But that does not mean that his policy was not informed by his religion. When he comes in in in, uh, Daniel chapter 4 to Nebuchadnezzar and he gives some policy recommendations to Nebuchadnezzar, those policy recommendations are informed by his religion. Mm. Now, as Christians, when we get involved in politics today, uh, for instance, you're elected to a political office and you might have some policies that are informed by your religion. You may or may not be, but let's say that you are not in favour of abortion. A lot of Christians are not in favour of abortion. It's a fairly common policy position of a Christian who is in politics. Then you need to be able to communicate to your constituency, Good arguments against abortion that don't come from the Bible, mm. because your constituency may or may not see the Bible as an authority. You need to be able to argue it from, you know, or whether it's many of the political issues that we talk about here on Faith FM, you know, euthanasia, LGBT issues, trans issues, whatever it might be, issues of morality. You need to be able to say, "Here is the secular research." that shows that this is a terrible idea when you are speaking to a secular person. Now, if you're speaking to a group of church people, then you can use Bible arguments all day long because that's going to be relevant for them. But you've got to remember this is, you know, standing up and saying, well, the Bible says this and this and this to a secular group of people is entirely meaningless. So it's not wrong for our beliefs to inform our policy. It is wrong when we
1: enforce doctrine. We have enjoyed you listening to us today on this beautiful sunny Wednesday here in Newcastle. And as we go out into the world, you know, to do our various things, whether it be to work, to meet people, whatever it is, we want to encourage you guys to spend time with Jesus today. Right, Lyle?
0: Absolutely, we do. Yeah. And however you do that, it's a good way to do it. You can spend time with Jesus in nature. We talk about spending time with Jesus in the Bible. Mm. His second book is Nature. Mm. Uh, Right here in the Newcastle region, I don't know what it's like where you are, but right here in the Newcastle region, what a beautiful day to get out there. Gentle breeze blowing at about 30 kilometres an hour. If you're a Newcastle uni student, we'll give you free food. are doing that today. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. So get out in nature today. Spend some time. I'm going to go for a walk today, I think. Epic. It's time for me to go for a walk because we've had too much time indoors with all of the rain. But right now, remember to talk faith, to live faith, to act faith, and you'll grow strong in Jesus Christ.
1: Securely for you, God be with you till we meet again. Until we meet, meet again, at Jesus feet, Until we meet again. Jesus God be with you
0: till we meet again. Thanks for being a part of the Faith FM family. Join our community on Facebook or get in touch at one 1800 Faith FM.